Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. What a beautiful weekend we've had. Somebody say amen to that. And I am so thankful for all of you who volunteered yesterday at uh, the packing, the food packing event. Thank you so much for your efforts. It was a great, great blessing to be involved in that. If you got a Bible, let me hear your pages turning to the Gospel of John and the third chapter. And while you're <clears throat> turning to the Gospel of John, the third chapter, let me just make an appeal to all of you parents to go ahead and get your children signed up to be a part of the Children's Christmas Choir for our special Christmas weekend services on December 9th and 10th. Go ahead and do that now so that you don't cause the folks that are involved in leading that a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety about that. Go ahead and get them signed up now. Many, many, many years ago when I was a pastor of a very small church, I used to dream about <clears throat> the possibility of being the pastor of a church large enough with enough music talent to have an incredible Christmas service every December that would just be amazing. And so several years ago, we began to do that here at Mount Pleasant. We set aside the second weekend of every December, and we just pull out all the stops with this incredible Christmas service. But the last few years, for a variety of different reasons, we haven't been able to have a children's choir, but that's changed this year. And this is going to be my last Christmas service at Mount Pleasant, so I want it to be the best ever. And so, don't disappoint me, parents. <laughs> don't ruin the last Christmas that I have at Mount Pleasant <laughs> by failing to sign your children up to sing in the Christmas choir. That is what this is all about. Your participation makes this whole thing hang in the balance. So do that as quickly as possible. This is the final weekend of our special message series called uh, Everyday Evangelism. What we've been doing is talking about the truth that every single one of us who is a follower of Christ has the responsibility to be sharing our faith sharing what we call spiritual influence here at Mount Pleasant with the people that are around us in the network of our lives. We began by talking about the heart of God for lost people. We did that by looking at three stories Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke that are all so moving. And then the next week, we talked about Jesus' call of a man named Matthew to come and follow him and be one of his disciples. And the emphasis that we saw in that passage, just a very brief passage, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, was on the mercy that Jesus was willing to extend to Matthew, that Jesus is willing to extend to anyone, no matter how far away from God they might be. Then the next week, what we did was we looked at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and we just talked about some really practical, everyday principles related to sharing spiritual influence, and we're going to finish today by looking at the familiar story of Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. But before we do that, let me just say that if you're a Christian, that word evangelism, and again, we, we begin to use the word spiritual influence for that, but that word evangelism probably conjures up a variety of different feelings inside of you, maybe guilt, maybe fear, maybe inadequacy. For some, it can even bring to mind awkward conversations and strained relationships as a result of your trying to talk to somebody about matters of faith. Well, it can be equally painful for people on the other side of that. In fact, uh, a little over 10 years ago, a man named Dave Kinneman wrote a book called Unchristian. That was the title of the book. And the tagline was, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. And when he wrote about the subject of evangelism, the overwhelming response of the people that he talked to about this who were not Christians was negative. Because they said that whenever somebody who was a Christian tried to talk to them about matters of faith, they felt bullied and manipulated. That doesn't sound good at all, does it? 
In fact, only a third of them said that the Christians that tried to talk to them over the years, that they felt like, rather, the Christians who tried to talk to them over the years really even cared about them. The rest said they just felt like they were someone's project or they were just a target. But what we've been trying to do in this message series and what we'll try to do once again today is to is to get rid of that stereotype of evangelism and learn from a biblical perspective a completely different motivation for evangelism or spiritual influence and a completely different model. And that model is based on love and it's based on mercy and it has a strong emphasis on personal connections and personal relationships. One of the reasons why we chose to use the word spiritual influence a few years ago rather than evangelism or personal evangelism is because spiritual influence can be so many things, and it's easy to understand it that way. It can be so many things. Uh, it, it's, it's not just about cornering someone and asking them, hey, are you, do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Although there's a place for that. There's a necessary place for that at some point when you're trying to share the gospel with someone, but only in the right setting and the right context. Genuine spiritual influence can happen in a variety of different ways. And here's how I would describe the most basic level of genuine spiritual influence. Write this down somewhere. Doing something good for someone in the name of Jesus. It's really that simple. Doing something good for someone in the name of Jesus. And there is no one listening to me right now, and I forgot to welcome all you folks who are online. Thanks for being with us this weekend. There is no one listening to me right now, whether you're here in person or you're online, who can't do that. No one who can't do something good for someone in the name of Jesus. In fact, I would just call that spiritual influence 101. That's where it all begins. All of us have the ability to show some level of kindness to the people that we know and the people that we encounter in the network of our lives, in the course of our daily lives. And we do that in the name of Jesus. Now, when you want to take spiritual influence up a notch, then you embrace our One Life initiative here at Mount Pleasant, and you identify one person that you know or one person that you'd like to get to know in your life, in the network of your life, and you decide you're going to do three things. You're going to develop a friendship with that person so that you can discover their story, and in discovering their story, you'll get to share your story, and then you can discern next steps about how you can share spiritual influence with them and again, I don't think there's anyone listening to me right now who can't do that, even though some of you, I mean, have flat out told me that's something you can't do. I think you're deceiving yourself and you are limiting God. You're limiting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life when you say those things. We all have the ability to do this. But the bottom line, and this has been my messaging throughout this entire series, is that everyone who is a follower of Jesus, everyone who is a follower of Christ, needs to be involved in some level of sharing spiritual influence with the people around them. You can do that. I believe in you. You can do that. And so as we bring this everyday evangelism series to an end, I want to show you one final example of how Jesus shared spiritual influence with someone in his life. Uh, and that's what brings us to John chapter 3 and this familiar story of Jesus and Nicodemus. So if you've got your Bibles open there and you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. Now I'm going to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 3. But everybody listen, I'm not going to do a verse-by-verse -verse message from this. I'm just going to use the story to share with you three specific things about this level of everyday evangelism. But we need to read the entire story to get the sense of it. Here we go. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All right, there it is. You can be seated. And as always, we ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. I've titled this message, Just Like Jesus because I want to show you how Jesus shared spiritual influence with someone like Nicodemus. And there are three critical lessons to be learned from this story. If you're someone who likes to take notes, let me give you the first lesson. Write this down somewhere. The power of your life. Write that down. The power of your life. And I just go back to the very first two verses of John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. Note this. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with them. And so the very first thing we notice in this encounter is the power of Jesus' life. I want you to think of it like this. There's no question by every standard of measurement in that culture Nicodemus was a good man, no question about that. By every standard of measurement, Nicodemus was a religious and a righteous man. He knew the scriptures. He kept the commandments. He understood all the teaching about the sacrifices, the kinds of sacrifices, the times of the sacrifices, and on and on and on. There's no question by every standard of measurement he was well-educated and a leader in his community. So if anyone should have known or had a sense of closeness to God in a personal way, it would have been him. But Nicodemus sees something in Jesus, clearly, that he does not see in himself. He sees something in Jesus that is missing from his own life. And he knows, like anyone who was paying any kind of attention at all, that Jesus was no ordinary man, that Jesus had come from God. He testifies to that. He said, no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. And of course, the signs that Nicodemus was talking about were the miraculous things Jesus did, the miracles he performed, the signs, wonders, and miracles. But, and I'm gonna be honest with you at this point, friends, and tell you, this is a little bit just my own speculation but I believe Nicodemus noticed something more about Jesus than just that pure supernatural power 
behind those signs and the wonders and the miracles. I think something else about Jesus' life caught his attention. And I think that's something else. If you look at Jesus' life throughout the gospels, and in particular, when he performed signs and wonders and miracles of healing, I think that something else that grabbed Nicodemus' attention was the love and the compassion and the kindness and the mercy that were a part of each of Jesus' miracles. From a purely historical standpoint, Nicodemus would have known and would have seen plenty of teachers and plenty of prophets and even plenty of so-called self-proclaimed messiahs come and go. And many of those so-called self-proclaimed messiahs would have claimed to have the ability to do signs, wonders, and miracles, but there was something different, everyone say different, different about Jesus, something different. And that something different about Jesus prompted Nicodemus to want to know more. So let me just ask all of us, including myself, a very pointed and a very direct question this morning. Is there something about your life that prompts people to want to know more? More about why you are the way you are. More about why you make the choices you make. More about why you have the convictions of heart that you have. Do people who know you or encounter you say to themselves, I know there's something different about him or different about her. I know they must have some kind of a different relationship with God because no one has ever treated me with such kindness or with such love or with such compassion. No one, who has, no one has ever served me the way they have served me. Nicodemus came to see Jesus that night because of the quality of Jesus's life and the quality of Jesus's works. You could say it like this. You could say that Jesus, in Nicodemus's mind, Jesus earned the right to be heard by virtue, not just of his power, but of his life, every aspect of his life. His kindness, his goodness, his compassion, his love, and his mercy. Now, you and me, we're not Jesus, right? You and me, we are never going to change water into wine. You and me, we are never going to be able to reach out with our hand and restore the sight of someone who is blind or do some other miraculous work like that. But that doesn't mean we can't earn the right to be heard by other people for something good we do in the name of Jesus. Remember, I said that was spiritual influence 101, doing something good for someone in the name of Jesus. So think about what it might look like in your life and mine in the most practical ways. We can't heal the sick, but we can provide help and care for people who are sick. We can't multiply loaves and fish, but we can provide food when someone is in need. We can't calm a storm by our words, but we can bring calm in the midst of a storm through our presence and through our encouragement and through our love and through our prayers. And so what we learn about personal evangelism or spiritual influence, everyday evangelism in this story, is that spiritual influence involves both proclamation and demonstration. 
See, for too long we've thought of evangelism, we've thought, we've thought of spiritual influence simply as telling people what they need to hear. But Jesus reminds us in this story that a big part of spiritual influence is showing people what they need to see. Nicodemus needed to see a life that was different than any other life he had ever encountered. Nicodemus, as good as he was, needed to see a life that was better than his own. He needed to see a life that had more purpose and more meaning and more substance than his own. And the people we'd like to reach out, need to see, out to need to see that as well. I mean, think about how you respond to the reality of life. Think about how you respond to the disappointments of life as a believer. Think about how you respond to the trials of life. Think about how you respond to the losses of life. All of those things can go a long way in creating the opportunity for spiritual influence with other people who are struggling with those same things in their own lives but don't seem to have the same peace or the same faith or confidence that you've demonstrated. I think about the quality of your marriage. And I've told you before over the years many, many times that one of the single, especially in the culture right here in the United States of America that we live in where marriage is such a wreck for so many people, oftentimes including people who sit in churches just like this every week. Think about the quality of your marriage. There is not a greater tool for creating the opportunity to speak to someone with some level of spiritual influence than just demonstrating in your home a genuine quality marriage where husbands and wives are connected deeply in love and intimacy. Think about the quality of your family life, the relationship you have with your children. I could go on and on and on. All of those things, if as we live our lives as followers of Christ, as we obey the commands and the instructions and the precepts and the principles of the scriptures and we apply them to our daily lives and we live that way in the world, all of those things can capture the attention of other people who are struggling or who are missing those in their life, who are longing for those kinds of things in their lives. Because spiritual influence is not just about proclamation. It's also about demonstration. Being someone who extends unexpected, undeserved, unconditional acts of kindness to other, others will always be a powerful way to share spiritual influence. And so the first thing we notice about this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus is the power of Jesus's life. And we need to apply that to our own lives. Here's the second thing, write this down somewhere. Not only do we notice the power of Jesus' life in this encounter with Nicodemus, but we also notice the power of real conversations. The power of real conversations. You see that pretty much from verse 3 all the way down through verse 15. Now, I'm not going to read those verses again, but... What you see in those verses is a very real, very genuine back and forth, back and forth conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Let me just give you a little example of what I'm talking about. Look back at your Bible at John chapter 3 and verse 3, or we'll put that verse up on the screen. This is an interesting way for Jesus to begin the conversation. He says, <clears throat> I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
And then Nicodemus replies, <clears throat> excuse me, in John chapter three and verse four, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot <clears throat> enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Well, friends, here's what we learn from that exchange. When Jesus gets the opportunity to talk to Nicodemus, he doesn't reach into his robe and pull out a brochure of the four spiritual laws or the Roman road, how to get to heaven by walking the Roman road. He doesn't reach into his pocket and pull out a napkin and a pen and illustrate on that napkin the plan of salvation. He doesn't do any of those things. What he does is he engages Nicodemus in a conversation. He sets up a conversation. He talks to him and he sets up a conversation. And he does it in this really unusual way. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, here's the deal. Most all of us who are here or who are listening online, we have some level of familiarity with the phrase born again, even if we don't understand it very deeply on a spiritual level. We basically know it means the beginning of a new life or the beginning of a fresh start. But let's just try to put our minds back into the context of John chapter three again and understand that for Nicodemus in this setting, that had to have been confusing to him because it was something he had never heard before. And we know it was confusing because he says, how can that be? I mean, you're supposed to enter into your mother's womb a second time? So why, why in this moment would Jesus choose to begin his conversation with Nicodemus with something as strange as those words, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I'm sure we could come up with a lot of answers because you look like really smart people. But let me just propose my own for a moment. Maybe it was because in that moment and in that setting, Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed a new way of talking about a relationship with God. Maybe it's because Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed a new way. Everyone say new way. New way of talking about God. Because remember who Nicodemus was. John chapter three and verse one says, there was a man of the Pharisees, the religious elite, like the, the, uh, the head and shoulders above anyone else who claimed any level of re religiosity in Jesus's day as far as the Jewish faith went. So it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's like the Supreme Court, sits on the Supreme Court of Judaism. And so that meant Nicodemus knew all about the Old Testament scriptures. That meant, as I said earlier, Nicodemus knew all about the commandments. He, all, he knew all about keeping the commandments, all the things that you're supposed to do and all the things that you weren't supposed to do. He knew all about the offering of sacrifices. In other words, Nicodemus, Jesus knew this about him, knew all the traditional ways that someone would have a relationship with God. And so Jesus said, I'm not gonna talk about those things. I'm gonna talk about a whole new kind of life. I'm gonna talk about a whole new kind of relationship with God. And I say that because that expression, born again, could also be translated, born from above. Not born down in this world by the things that you do as you try to earn your relationship with God, but something completely different, born from above. In fact, if you study John chapter three, most Bible scholars will tell you that that's what Jesus had in mind because with those words, born again, he was talking about a second kind of birth. Or in other words, think of it like this. He was talking about a new birth. 
And so here's my point. Jesus didn't turn to predictable, worn out religious phrases or statements with Nicodemus to think about uh, new and different ways to know and have a relationship with God. He started with a new kind of a conversation to get to a new place in the mind of Nicodemus. A man named Paul Borthwick has written a really great book on the subject of sharing your faith with other people. It's called Stop Witnessing and Start Loving. Isn't that a great title? Stop witnessing and start loving. Stop looking at people like a project, but start just loving people. And he tells the story of a guy he met at a gym that, they, that he worked at with, and they got to know each other because they came to the gym the same time every day. And uh, after a period of months, when their friendship in the gym grew, he invited the guy to have lunch with him one day. And after a bit of small talk, Paul Borthwick decided, hey, I'm just gonna cut to the chase. I might not have enough, another opportunity for this. And so he looked at his friend and he said, Bill, <clears throat> have you ever heard the message that God loves you and offers you the gift of eternal life? And Bill responded by saying, yes. But then he followed up by saying, but could I ask you a couple of questions? And Paul said, sure. And Bill went on to say, what do you mean by God? And what do you mean he loves me? And what do you mean by eternal life? And so at that point, Paul writes in the book that he realized he needed to slow down, lose the religious jargon and get to know Bill better. He needed to just talk with Bill for a while to get better acquainted. He needed to listen to Bill so he could try to discover where he was in his life when it came to spiritual things. And it was through that, that relationship development and the conversations that went along with him, with with it, that he learned what he needed to talk about. Because sharing spiritual influence with someone is not just about delivering a speech or some memorized presentation, and it's certainly not about making some kind of a sales pitch. You know, what do I need to do to get you in this car today? What do I need to do to get you in this baptistry this morning? That's not what it's about. It's about being willing to enter into a relationship with someone and have conversations that are real. Another man, Todd Hunter, is a former president of Alpha USA, and he's something of a specialist when it comes to contemporary culture and evangelism. And he writes in one of his books that people used to come to faith by listening, hearing a clear presentation of the gospel in a church service or in a crusade or a revival meeting or even in a home. Remember I told you last week about how I used to spend so much time knocking on people's doors with the hope of being invited into their home so that I could get enough time to share the gospel with them. But he goes on to say that now he's finding people come to faith, note this, friends, by talking, airing out their doubts and questions in a series of conversations over a cup of coffee or over lunch. He says the best thing we can do for people is to listen to them, to offer them a thought or two, and let them talk their way to God. And that's what Jesus did with Nicodemus. If we follow the rest of the conversation, I just gave you one example that began in verse three. If we follow the rest of the conversation, again, we would see questions and answers, comments and responses, a back and forth, genuine, real conversation until it came to a close at one point later in the chapter. It's basically the same thing that happened with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well that we talked about last weekend. Both conversations, this one in John three and that one in John four were real 
And so the main takeaway from this is we need to find new and different ways to talk to people about matters of faith, about spiritual things. Some of you will remember that back when we did the One Life series, I did something I'd never done before. Rick Neville, who's one of our elders, was a part of it with me, but I led a, a small group for several weeks that met here in the church on Wednesday nights that was comprised only of people who did not believe in God, people who were self-proclaimed, at least on some level, self-proclaimed atheists. We called it a spiritual discovery group. And uh, it was a tremendous experience, but I, was, I, I would be lying if I told you that I wasn't scared to death. I mean, I was just, I had this, this high level of anxiety of going into this because I didn't know, you know, what kind of questions would come up and, and whether I'd be able to answer the questions and, you know, whether there'd be a lot of an, animosity toward God and anger and just how it would unfold. But I remember the very first time we met and I, I had prepared for the meeting by just creating some really good icebreaker type things. Not the lame ones, you know, the kind of stupid like, oh, let's get past this, but some really good ones, really cool ones. That's what it was. <laughs> and after we got to know each other a little bit through that, then I said to them, and this is not original with me, this question, but I said to them here, I'd just like everybody to answer one question. And the question was, and you probably heard this before, if you could ask God one question and knew that he would answer you right away, what would that question be and why? Why would you ask that question? And so one by one by one, we went around the room and I, I, I participated, Rick participated, and each one of them participated. And I had this little notebook that I kept with me that's a prized possession to me today. I still have it where I wrote down notes from every single meeting and I wrote down everybody's question and why and I wrote their name next to it. And then we got to the end and I said, well, here's the deal. If you are willing to come back next week and the next and the next and the next for a prescribed period of time, then we'll just try to answer these questions. We'll talk about these questions and try to come up with some answers. And they came back. Now, the first question that was asked, and you could probably guess this if I ask you to, because it's the most common question that I've ever encountered with people who have a problem with God, is some version of the question, why does God allow, what am I gonna say? Evil, bad things, right? That was the question. And so we came back the next week, we started to talk about that. Not, not that Rick and I tried to answer the question, we started to talk about it. And it was so interesting, and, I, and, I, and this, I have this in my notebook where I took as many notes as I could. Over the course of time, the people who were in the group who had asked the questions oftentimes would come to the point where they were answering their own questions, whether they understood that they were doing that or not. And when it was all said and done, we came to the conclusion two of those people were baptized, and they're members, they're active members in this church today. Now, sadly, the others said, no thanks, and they walked away. But some people plant, and some people water, right? And we trust that to God. Here's the point. We need to find new ways to share spiritual influence with people. And oftentimes, it happens through having conversations that are real. All right, I'm getting close to the end. Let me give you a third thing. The third thing that we see in this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, we see the power of Jesus' life, we see the power of real conversations, and we see the power of telling God's story. Because at some point, you gotta get to the point where you tell God's story. 
And the culmination of that for Nicodemus and Jesus came in verse 16. I'll put it up on the screen, but I want you to. I want you to read these words with me. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Actually, it's John 3, 16 and verse 17 we'll talk about in a minute, but that's the culmination. of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And so sharing spiritual influence with someone in a meaningful way that has the power to impact their lives means that ultimately you've got to get to this place. But what I'm telling you is that when you do this the way Jesus did, it will get to this place in a natural way if you just trust that. And John 3.16 encapsules the story of God in three specific ways. First of all, because it talks about God's love. For God so loved the world. God didn't have to create the world. He didn't have to create people like you and me, but he did. And after he did that, he could have left us to our own devices with no recourse for our own choices, but he chose not to do that. And he chose not to do that by sending Jesus into the world to show us not just who God is, but to teach us God's truth and give us this opportunity to have eternal life and live in a relationship with God forever because that's what God wants most. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus that the reason God came into the world is because God loves people. He loves people like you and me. But you know what? He loves people who are way different than you and me as well. He loves us with this incredible, everlasting love, the kind of love that is not just spoken about, but the kind of love that you feel deeply and emotionally. Look at these words on the screen. I love this verse from Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. In fact, read it with me. Let me hear your voices. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's the personal nature of this truth of God's love. It's a personal love. It's an emotional love. And so, uh, first of all, we, we capture the story of God by talking about his love. Then we, talk, we capture the story of God's love by talking about his generosity because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. Christmas is around the corner. We remember the words that Luke, or rather in Luke, that were spoken about Jesus when he was born. Luke 2.11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. God gave us a Savior because we needed someone to save us from our sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't really need the Bible to tell us about sin and the damage of sin. All we have to do is look around because it's around us every single day. I'm like so many of you, I get up in the morning and I have a quiet time, a devotional time, and then I open up my computer and I look at the headlines of the world and I am just overwhelmed by the damage of sin in and around our world every single day. We see it in the lives of the people that we know. We need a savior. We are a people who need a savior. When the angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter one and told him what was going on with Mary, remember when he found out that Mary was pregnant, they had not been together physically? 
And he decided, I'm just going to divorce her quietly and go on with my life. An angel appeared to him one night and said in Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so you tell the story of God by talking about his love. You see that in John 3.16. By talking about his generosity, you see that in John 3.16. But also you share the story of God, and this can't be left out by talking about his mercy. And you see that in John 3.17. Look back at your Bible with me or up on the screen because right after Jesus spoke the words of John 3.16, he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, God sent Jesus into the world so that you and me could all have a second chance and a third and a fourth and on and on. And it's all because of his mercy. A textbook definition of mercy would be compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And God could have easily chosen just to do that to us, to punish us, to bring harm into our lives because of our rebellion and because of our sin but instead he has chosen to offer us life in his son. Psalm 103 verses 10 through 12 says about God, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us, or for those who fear him rather, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And you know what that is, friends? In just a very short period of time, I didn't have much time. That is the story of God. It's a story of love. And we need to see God as a loving God, a kind and compassionate loving God. It's the story of his generosity and what he's been willing to sacrifice so you and I could have our sin forgiven and live in a relationship with him, and it's the story of mercy. And you see all of that in this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. And if we want to be involved in sharing personal, or excuse me, uh, personal influence, rather, spiritual influence, just like Jesus did, then we need to follow this example. We need to pay attention to the, the, the power of our lives, real conversation, the power of real conversations, and the power of telling God's story. Now, at some point in this meeting, the team can get ready to come because I'm closing. At, at some point in this story, uh, the meeting of, between Jesus and Nicodemus came to an end, and so Jesus let Nicodemus walk away. But if you're a student of the Bible, you know that was not the end of Nicodemus's story. He showed up again in the middle of God, John's gospel, arguing with the Pharisees on behalf of Jesus. And then, friends, he showed up again at the very end of the gospel, taking the body of Jesus down from the cross. And preparing it for burial. And here's what I take from that. You can take, you can draw your own conclusion, but here's what I take from that. I take from that that eventually, over the course of time, everything that Jesus shared with Nicodemus became clear to him. And he experienced the miracle of what Jesus talked about when Jesus talked about being born again. And so I'm wondering if that's a miracle or that's an experience that you've shared today. All of you who are here listening to me in person, all of you who are joining me online, have you experienced that reality, that miracle that comes from the love of God and the generosity of God and the mercy of God 
of being born again, getting a second chance to be the person that God created you to be. If not, you can do that today. Or you can learn more about doing that today. 